Today's scripture lesson for the second Sunday after Epiphany comes from 1 Samuel verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The, the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if God calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. The word of the Lord. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. As I've gotten older and I've continued to observe both my own experience as well as that of folks around me, there's something that I've really, really grown to recognize, and that is the tendency of characteristics or aspects of someone's personality getting passed from parents to their children, from one generation to the next. Now, I am fully embracing the fact that I am a part of this as well. I see it sometimes within my own kids when they have, have inherited, if we want to use that word, certain aspects of either my personality or my wife's personality that manifests it within their mannerisms, and it has certainly happened to me as well. Now, I want to give a real quick disclaimer here. With what I'm about to share with you, I don't want you to think that this is a shot at my dad in any way, shape, or form. This is just acknowledging something that I have inherited from my dad. Now, here's the thing about my dad. My dad has been a farmer his entire life, and because of that, he's got a couple of tendencies. One is to be a very, very early riser. He gets up earlier than anyone I've ever known, ever. And also the fact that if there's anything to do during the day, and let's face it, as a farmer, there's always something to do, he wants to get right to it. And so when he gets up, a lot of the time, especially now in his retirement years, he'll get out and go for a drive just to kind of alleviate that general sensibility of, I need to get up and get moving. Now, I have the same tendency as well, and for me, I inherited this from my dad and probably his influence both as a farmer and just simply being my dad, that 
for me, it really manifests if it's a travel day. For instance, if we've been off visiting someone and it's the day when we're going to go home, pretty much from the moment I wake up, I am antsy to get moving, to get this drive out of the way. And within my immediate family, we sort of have a little inside joke that we talk about where we say, my Rick is showing. Rick is my dad. And it's this tendency that I inherited from my dad. Now, what's funny is both of my kids have started to say the same exact thing, too. And as the generations go on, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually with their kids down the road that it'll be my Scott is showing because of the same type of situation. My Rick is showing. I need to get moving. I'm antsy. Now, there's another aspect that I have noticed this. And again, this is probably the whole the idea of, of a farmer influence on me. And it happens right about this time of year. And in fact, it's happened a lot in the last week as we've had a whole lot of winter weather. Now, if any of you have ever talk, heard me talk about winter weather before, you know I am not a fan. I do not like snow. I do not like winter. And the reason for it is because you can't ignore snow. When snow falls, you got to get out and move it. If you want to continue to be out and about, you got to get the snow shoveled off the driveway. You got to brush the cars off. You got to dig the cars off. You can't ignore snow. You have to get to it. But sometimes, especially in what we have seen, not just once, but a couple of times this week, sometimes when the snow falls and you wake up to the snow, the snow is ongoing. And the older I've gotten, the more I've come to realize that it's pointless to get out there early and shovel all the snow if the snow is still blowing because it's going to drift right back in. You're going to be right out there again later on doing the exact same work again. But... I have a general sense of antsiness to get the work done. And I think this is, again, the it's either something I inherited from my dad. So either my Rick is showing when it's time to move the snow, or it's simply the idea that is, I think, very common amongst farmers, that when there's work to do, you just want to get out there and do it. And it really happened this past Tuesday when we had that first snowstorm come through. I knew that I had work to do. It was, it was the start of the work week for me. Tuesday's my first day of the, of the work week. And I really wanted to get the snow moved and get it out of the way so I could get to work and do all these things. And I was so antsy to do it, I was just pacing around the house. And I was just jonesing to get out and do this work. And everybody was commenting on it. They, they could just tell. Now, that sense of antsiness, I think that is present within our passage today. But what I'm also thinking about, in addition to that general sense of antsiness, is the idea of expressions. Now, I mentioned before, the inside joke or the expression that we use is, my Rick is showing. But I think within our common language, we, there's a lot of expressions that we all use that all sort of point the same way. And these might sound familiar to you. How often have you been with, some, with another individual and you're talking about somebody else? Maybe you're expecting that other person to show up. And maybe you say, oh, I wonder when this person is going to show up. And right about that time, they come walking around the corner. There they are. And what do you say? Well, speak of the devil. There's another example, too. How often have you ever been talking about someone or perhaps thinking about someone else, and all of a sudden your phone rings, and you see their name pop up, and so how do you answer? Oh, were your ears burning? We do that, don't we? These expressions that point to it. And I wonder if we might play with that second one, were your ears burning ever so slightly? Were your ears tingling? Now, if that sounds familiar, it should, because we heard it in our passage today out of 1 Samuel. Now, I want to talk about this whole general thing, not only the idea of ears tingling, we'll get to that in a minute, but also that sense of antsiness. Now, I'm thinking about Samuel and his place within the, the, the history of the Jewish culture, or what we find within the Old Testament as we move through that period. 
Now, Samuel marks a time of transition, and we don't know precisely when this passage would have happened, but it's probably around about 1,100 years before Jesus was around. I mean, give or take just a little bit. Again, we don't know exactly, but we can place it roughly within that period. Now, Samuel marks a time of transition within the greater culture, a time when God began doing something new, and I think the people as a whole were all antsy, not only to hear from God, but for this new thing to happen. When we pick up, we hear that the voice of God or the visions of God or, or, or the word of God was rare in those days. God had been silent for a while through the period of history that came up before this. Now, where are we in, in history? Well, if you want to flip back in, in the Old Testament, you roughly go to the tail end of the period described in the book of Judges. If you're not familiar with that, Judges happened during a, a couple of hundred year period following the Israelites or the Hebrew people or the Jewish people coming into the promised land and settling in the promised land. And then they were led over the course of the next couple of centuries by different individuals known as judges. The final judge in that period was this boy that we know as Samuel. He was older when it happened, but he was the final judge. And in addition to being a judge, he was also a prophet. Now, there's a distinction between these two roles. The, the judges were usually more military-minded people. They would oftentimes lead through battles and lead against an enemy, and then they would lead the people. But there were also prophets who would speak, who would speak for God. They would bring the message from God for the people. Now, what's interesting about Samuel is he was actually both at one point or another within his life. He served as a judge, in his younger years, and then, but he was also a prophet. He received the word of the Lord. In fact, we even hear about that here when he's a boy, when he first receives the voice of God or hears the voice of God in his calling. What's also interesting about Samuel's role, he oversees a time of transition from the period of the judges, as we were just talking about, into the nation of Israel. What's interesting about this time during the life and the ministry, the ongoing ministry and, and work of Samuel, the people were getting jealous of the neighboring cultures and the neighboring kingdoms. And they said, we want a king. And he, would, he warned them, if you have a king, the, this king is just going to lord over you and it's not going to be great. But they're like, oh, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And God says, I'm going to grant it to the people. And so in his role as prophet, Samuel is called upon by God to, to anoint, to point out the one that God has chosen to be the king. And he does it actually not just once, but twice for the first two kings of Israel. First, for the king of Saul, who established the nation, the kingdom of Israel. And then later on, when he fell out of God's favor, then Samuel was called upon to anoint David as the second king of the combined nation of Israel. So he was active at a very important transitional time. But again, we got to back up because in our story for today, he is still a young boy. He lives within a house of God. It's not the temple that we oftentimes hear about, but he lives within a house of God. He's been dedicated to God by his parents. He's being raised by the priest Eli. 
and he simply lives in this house of God. Now, as we heard, the people are jonesing, they're antsy for, for a message from God because the voice of God had been silent for some time until now. I love the, the, just the imagery of this passage as the boy Samuel is sleeping in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, he, he would have been, it's basically like right here where I'm standing in front of the altar. He's pretty much sleeping in front of the Ark. And as he sleeps, the voice of God shows up and calls his name. Samuel, Samuel, well, this young boy thinks, oh, that must be Eli. So he jumps up off of his mat and runs off to Eli who we hear is old and his eyesight's growing dim and he can't perceive anything. He's the one who probably should be hearing the voice of God as a priest, and yet it's the boy who receives it. And he says, here I am for you called me. And he's like, Eli says, well, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. So Samuel goes back and he lays down and he seemingly goes back to sleep again. And then the voice of God shows up again. Samuel, Samuel, and he jumps up and runs off to Eli again. Here I am for you called me. And Samuel's like, dude, go back to sleep. And so he goes back again. And, but this time, after it's happened twice, all of a sudden Eli realizes, oh, this is the voice of God calling this boy who has been dedicated to his service. So he says, if, when God calls again, say, speak, for your servant is listening. And as we hear, it happens once more this third time. The voice of God calls Samuel, Samuel. Here I am, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. And God says, I am about to do something that will make the ears of all who hear it tingle. There's that experience again, or there's that expression again that we talked about before. The people have been antsy. They, they've been waiting for God to speak and do something new. And now through Samuel, it's going to happen. Now, I really appreciate this particular passage, even though this is, again, from the Old Testament and takes place way before Jesus is around, it marks a similar situation to what we actually see when the New Testament picks up. Again, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There's another period of history that goes on between what we call the Old Testament and what we call the New Testament. Several centuries had gone by when the prophets had not been active. God had not been showing up. God had not been speaking through anyone, and God had been quiet, and that all came to a close when this individual showed up out in the, the wilderness along the Jordan River, this individual who may sound familiar to you. We just heard about him last week, this guy guy named John the Baptist who preaches uh, a baptism of repentance. He's doing this new thing. Suddenly, the voice of the Lord is with someone again. And as we know, he is pointing, his ministry of John the Baptist is pointing towards the Messiah to come that we know to be Jesus. Now, last week, a week ago, we had the interaction between John and Jesus when Jesus himself is baptized. This kicks off the season that we are in right now, the season of Epiphany. Now, the general sensibility of the season of Epiphany is ways that Jesus is revealed to the world. Sometimes it's through divine action or something really big. Last week, it was his baptism as well as the booming voice of God claiming him as beloved son. We also had the presence of the Holy Spirit there. And then we have different ways in the subsequent weeks when Jesus continues to be revealed. Sometimes it's through the miracles that he does. Sometimes it's through interactions with different individuals. But every single year as we move past that first one, which is always the baptism of Jesus, usually over the course of the next week or two, we have interactions with Jesus as he begins to gather his disciples around him. In fact, in a preview of what we'll have a week from now, 
Next week, we have Jesus' interaction in which he, he uh, encounters the fishermen and calls them to be fishers of men. He calls them as disciples. But the assigned gospel text for today, which obviously I didn't read as I read out of the book of Samuel, but our assigned gospel text for today is out of John's gospel. If you're interested in it, it's the tail end of John chapter 1. And we see a distinction between Jesus encountering and calling someone. And here in John's gospel, when he, the encounters originate when someone else points Jesus out. Now, the first person that, that this happens with is the disciple known as Andrew. It's the brother of Simon Peter. It's John the Baptist who points Jesus out to them. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew follows along and has this encounter with Jesus and thinks, I have to bring my brother. So he goes off and he finds his brother Simon and brings him, and they have that encounter. Now, in the assigned gospel text for today, the same sort of thing happens again with two individuals known as Philip and Nathaniel. Philip has someone else point out Jesus to him, and they have an encounter, and then he thinks, I have to point this man out to somebody else. I have to share this experience with someone else. And he goes out and he finds Nathaniel, and because of that, Nathaniel encounters Jesus and has this moment too. All of this stems from the idea that Jesus, the Messiah, is revealed when an individual is willing to share their experience, what they have encountered with God, how God has encountered them, and they've had this experience with the Messiah, with God's grace, whatever we want to say, they've had their experience and they are willing to share it with someone else. And because of that, God does this new thing. I believe that we as followers of Christ, share in this same idea, the same sensibility, in that we have somehow heard about Jesus, heard about the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus, whatever we want to say, whatever we want to call it, whatever label we want to use, because someone was willing to share their testimony, their experience of this is how I have encountered the grace of God a grace made possible through this guy named Jesus who lived and died and rose again. And I may not understand how it works, but this has been my experience and I want you to hear about it. And the Holy Spirit somehow takes that testimony, makes our ears that we hear tingle because we are encountering something that's so utterly divine and creates this gift of faith. I don't know how that works. I wish I did. I wish I could make it happen but we can't. We cannot force it. All we can do as followers of Christ is share, this is the way that I have encountered the grace of God, and I want you to know it. And then it's up to the Holy Spirit to take action in the life of that person, to do this new thing in their life. But I believe that we as followers of Christ have been tasked with that, to share how we have encountered God We encountered the grace of God towards us as broken, sinful people and have been given the gift of faith. I believe that we have a world that's antsy for that. We have individuals who are antsy for that, to hear a word not of of judgmental perfection, but a word of acknowledgement that I am a broken and flawed person, and yet I have experienced the love of God through this man named Jesus, and I want you to know about that. And maybe, just maybe, as we are here into a new year, maybe that's the challenge for us, to share this new thing with individuals who I believe are antsy to hear it, so that maybe their ears will hear it and begin to tingle as this new divine thing takes root in their life. 
May we find hope in that message. May we find hope and may we find encouragement in that mission that we all share together. Amen.